0: My wife, Noelle, and I were driving around town the other night looking at Christmas lights, and I proclaimed that I expected presents under the tree when we got back. She was surprised, so I explained. There was a while when I was growing up where every year we'd go look at Christmas lights as a family. All the kids would be in the car, ready to go, and my parents and grandparents were always slow and usually forgot something. But finally, we'd get going and drive around town. It always seemed like a good thing that we got out of there when we did, because by the time we got back, Santa had managed to drop off all of our presents convenient timing, and it's a good thing we were away. So as we were driving around town the other night, I assumed the tradition would carry over. Sadly, I think it may have been just a little too early for Christmas. Welcome to episode 34 of the Sandbox Cooperative Podcast, Don't Waste the Ham. Welcome to the Sandbox.
1: Before we get too far into today's episode, we want to let you know about a few things that are coming up. First off, this will be the last episode of 2016, and we just want to say thank you so much for listening, sharing, and participating in the Sandbox community. It's so hard to believe that it's... Almost the new year.
0: Yeah, there's been a lot that's happened in this yes. last last 12 months Almost or so. no joke. Uh, so we'll take a few weeks off at the start of 2017, but we'll be back on January 18th with a conversation we had with Rob Bell earlier this year. We had a great time, and we can't wait for you to hear it.
1: Yeah, Rob was 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 excellent. And, and we've also got some live events and other opportunities to get together in the new year, so stay tuned. And if you want to be the first to know about these kinds of events, sign up for our mailing list on the Sandbox website and you can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter.
0: But for now, let's get into today's topic. Today, we're talking about tradition.
1: <laughs> Tradi- didn't you just, you said tradition, but earlier you said something about a ham.
0: Yeah, I did. I did. But just hold on. We'll get there. It's going to be all right.
1: You had me at ham. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, so, so as we're recording this, it's uh, it's almost Christmas, and we're not quite a month past Thanksgiving, both holidays of which you could... Theoretically, eat you could the ham. you could
1: have ham, but I mean, you, but it would be weird at, at Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving. It'd be weird because you know.
0: that's just not how it works at Thanksgiving. No, and, and Speaking people of tradition. There, there
1: are people who have ham at, at Thanksgiving, but they're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's the wrong kind of tradition right so there you go
0: there's our introduction to, to uh tradition we just lost some of our listeners now <laughs> half of our listeners just turned this thing off it's been real anyway um so yeah we're just it's almost christmas uh there's lots of other holidays going on this time of year um this time of year is often filled with family time uh, we're connecting with those who we might not have seen much over the last year um or or maybe we're we're gathering with with good friends to celebrate the season and just as we get started today when you're at these gatherings. Just think about what, what are you thinking? What are you hearing, seeing, or learning? Um, how are the traditions of these gatherings and other times of year shaping who you are? I think those are all really good things to keep in mind mm-hmm. as we celebrate. Um, but again, starting today, uh, let's, let's just start with the basics of tradition. So Dave, what are some of your family traditions? <laughs> well, one of my favorite traditions, and
1: while I was growing up especially, was playing Risk on Thanksgiving. Good game. Amazing game, and I've never lost either, and that's what's so stunning. Uh, <laughs> but that's not the tradition that I like. I, or, you know, I'm, I even want to talk okay about You're okay with right that. One. I'm all right with that one. But my brothers and my dad and I would get up early, like, what, six in the morning on our day off, right? This is Thanksgiving morning, 6 a.m., and, and the game would go on all day. We'd stop to eat and sometimes hang out, but all in all, it was a very intense game. The, the trash-talking was epic it usually started sometime in September September in September and as we started to move away and and start to live in different places around the country it would go on via email and that was (laughs) it was just it was it was super intense so the trash talking starts in September and it would build to this crescendo by the end of November I remember waking up one Thanksgiving morning, actually probably more than one Thanksgiving morning, and my dad would be snapping me with a towel. And then he would throw it at me and said, there's your crying towel, son. Now let's get going. <laughs> I mean, he was ice cold, Brutal man.
0: Game. Brutal, Brutal game. Brutal,
1: but so good. So awesome. Uh, great memories and a great tradition. And and really, I and mean, because why not give thanks and celebrate global
0: do- domination with the game of risk, I mean that's that's a little bit of a weird way to to celebrate Thanksgiving, I guess, yeah. but yeah, you're weird <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, speaking of weird traditions. Right? so um, my parents ended up with uh, with my grandparents' old croquet set. And so we spent a lot of time with my grandparents when I was growing up, and um, this one we we played with occasionally when we were we were visiting. and a few years ago, it, this particular croquet set led to one of the weirdest traditions that my family has. Mm. So I think it was maybe a couple days after Christmas or something. Definitely a lot of snow. And for some reason, it would be a good idea to take this croquet set and go out and play.
1: Because why wouldn't you? Right.
0: I mean, logical. Next mm-hmm. step. So imagine about five inches of snow, uh, which if you've played a croquet, the hoops are not much taller than that. Right. Um, and you're trying to hit the ball through... Um you can't see the hoops, so good luck. Right. Uh, but we went ahead and played our game of winter croquet anyway, and it's become kind of a weird winter tradition for us.
1: Are there winter rules? I mean, can you bump them like out, out of the way? I mean Oh yeah. I
0: mean it's harder. Yeah. But that's still Yeah, I mean it's it's more brutal in the winter, right? Because you could also like slide in the snow and knock somebody over. It so just gets worse.
1: So it's full contact. Oh okay. yeah, full contact croquet okay, for sure. <laughs> nice. Well, you know, I'm also about you know, especially as we are, we're ramping up for Christmas right now, and, and I'm, I'm eating like it's my full time job. And I love the food traditions around Christmas time. For us, being of Scandinavian descent, uh, there's Swedish meatballs and uh, Swedish potato sausage, all kinds of Danish uh, goodness going on, all kinds of assorted just awfulness that I am going to have to work off at the gym over the next couple months. Last year, it was, I don't know, sometime after Christmas, I I, I tripped and fell down. I cut my knee and gravy came out.
0: It was it was a Christmas miracle. That's, I'm not sure if that's delicious or gross.
1: <laughs> yes, it is, both. Uh, but I can't get enough of the food traditions. In fact, now that I'm married, I've come to love mochi at New Year's. See, it's a Japanese tradition of eating these pounded rice that symbolizes long life because it gets kind of stretchy. It also works out particularly well because, you know, the doctor said... I, I wasn't getting enough carbs in my diet wow that's just rough i you know so i had to get more carbs so hence hence pounded rice <laughs> <laughs> you know it, so it's a bit of a win-win for me but you know food traditions are kind of funny because almost all food traditions are bad for you yeah none of those foods are actually good N- nothing good comes of that and actually it's, it's helpful with another tradition and dying <laughs>
0: it's helpful with that tradition but that's another episode all that's maybe a different conversation yeah oh so you know we do happen to be in the christmas season right now and and so a lot of our traditions that we have on our mind are holiday related but there's all sorts of traditions that happen throughout the year in specific points in our life that have nothing to do with holidays so things like uh like weddings or funerals or or graduations or those those kinds of things that happen at different points
1: yeah those are just just filled with traditions graduations like, yeah, they have caps and gowns, pop and pomp and circumstance gets played for like 12 minutes in a row,
0: at least on
1: and on and on. Right. And a ceremonial mace.
0: Those are sweet.
1: You know, there's a ceremonial, a mace is, was a weapon and they proceed in with that. This ceremonial, you don't, it's a big m- deal. You don't <laughs> mess around with that tradition. That that's one that it could cause damage but yeah, ceremony, mice. wedding, weddings, are, are you kidding me? I mean, walking down the aisle, throwing the bouquet, the garter, the horrible solo that's sung by your third cousin twice removed, the creepy uncle at the bar, funeral, <laughs> funerals, uh, you've got a visitation, a eulogy, graveside ceremonies, half stale finger sammies in the church basement. Tradition takes all kinds of forms in all phases of life.
0: So, traditions are good at giving us form and and practice of a way of of doing something, but sometimes they get in the way and and just weigh us down a little bit. Or sometimes they keep us from living more fully in the moment. At times, tradition can be problematic and perhaps just needs to be put in the proper place and context. Yeah. You know, like sometimes
1: I like to think of tradition, it's it's kind of like a tired mom or or dad who doesn't even know how to who makes a decision, you make a call as a mom or dad, but you don't know how to justify the the decision when your kid asks why. And when they ask why and you're tired and you're out of sorts, the answer is because I said so. And that's not an answer. And not a good one anyway. Sometimes we need to ask the why of tradition. And if it holds, it's good. If it morphs, maybe it becomes a stronger tradition. If it goes away... Well, maybe that's the right thing after all, but for crying out loud, don't say we have to do this because I said so.
0: Yeah, because I said so. It seems like a lot of tradition is built on that, especially when we talk about rituals. I think we hear this most in religious contexts, but it's true of all sorts of things. Rituals are those repetitive actions we do that are supposed to point to something, but sometimes they become kind of empty. So they're often the target of criticism when we talk about tradition. And not all rituals are good or helpful, but they definitely need a why if they are going to be. So when we gather together or eat certain food or play a certain game, and we understand how these things point to family or community in a way that's bigger than the actual thing, then I think they're helpful and they help us find our place.
1: Yeah, you know, tradition requires us to have some balance to avoid becoming, at best, stale, at worst, damaging and harmful. It could be that we get confused between tradition and traditionalism, and there's a difference. There's a quote by a guy named Yaroslav Pelikan, and he said, "Tradition is the living faith of the dead. Traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. It tradition is the living faith of the dead. Traditionalism is the dead faith of the
0: living." Yeah, when you first said that, I was, I was. found that to be really helpful. Um, Mm. I think it's a really helpful way of framing it. We use that word tradition and we don't always have a good way of distinguishing between helpful or unhelpful parts. So it all kind of ends up in the same pile of stuff and we don't have a good way of sorting it out. Um, so that, that's a really helpful separation there. And you know, when, when you think about things like your average school or church or or government organization, and you often hear like the, well, we haven't done it that way before. I think Uh. that that's that traditionalism. And that's, I think what that Quote helps us separate out a little yeah.
1: bit. We've never done it that way before. That is enough to make it die a little bit on the. That inside. ruins all
0: sorts of things.
1: <laughs> yeah, traditionalism, and and I think if traditionalism is is challenged, I think it starts to to crumble, uh, at least mm. more quickly mm-hmm. than than tradition. But what about when tradition is challenged? Yeah, I think about just this fall as uh, San Francisco. 49ers quarterback Colin Kaepernick began protesting the treatment of African-Americans by not standing for the national anthem at the beginning of NFL games this year. He received death threats. He, He was demonized in all sorts of different ways. But really, if you take a step back and you look at it, all he did was choose not to stand. And at face value, it's a simple act. But it's absolutely filled with symbolism and emotion The power of tradition is that you stand, but it's more than standing. It's a song, but it's more than a song. It's a colored piece of cloth, of of fabric hanging from a pole, but it's so much more than that.
0: Yeah. And so I think it begs the question, if a tradition is challenged, is the tradition itself big enough to handle it? And can tradition help lead us to a deep understanding and maybe better insight into the way the world around us works? Or does it represent a static and unchanging worldview? There's a it's a really interesting quote by Winston Churchill who said, "Without tradition, art is a flock of sheep without a shepherd. Without innovation, it is a corpse." And I think we need those parts of our culture that keep pointing forward. But, yeah. we, but we also need to know what to build from. That's just a huge quote. Could you say that again? I mean that. Yeah.
1: I mean that's amazing.
0: So without tradition, art is a flock of sheep without a shepherd. Without innovation, it is a corpse.
1: Just the importance of having the tradition and being able to innovate, being able to improvise. Right. um, But
0: being able to have a foundation and a way to begin. Yeah. Absolutely helps center us.
1: So are you ready for this? Is this the ham? I've got a story about ham. (laughs) Let's bring in the ham, shall we? A friend of mine told me this story, and I don't know if it's true. Uh, It may be more of a legend than anything, but as the story goes, apparently a couple got married, and she was going to make ha- uh, ham for a big dinner. So she cut off the end of it, and she threw it away, and then she cooked the ham. Now her husband watched her and asked, "Why she? Why did she do that?" Which I would love to have been a fly on the wall for that conversation. (laughs) Yeah,
0: you don't actually want to ask that.
1: Nothing good can come of that. But he asks, he goes there, and she said, that's how ham is cooked. Obviously. (laughs) Clearly, you always cut off the end. And he says, the end is just as good as the other part of the ham. Again, would have loved to have seen that. His wife had learned to do this, had learned how to cook ham from her mom. And it turns out that when her mom first got married she didn't have a pan big enough to fit the ham. So she had to cut off the end. Now, fast forward years, this once necessary act was still done for no apparent reason. See, there comes a point, perhaps, when traditions and rituals are no longer useful or helpful anymore. They don't serve the purpose for which, you know, they were done in the first place. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, sometimes, they're, I mean, that definitely happens. Sometimes they're not helpful um sometimes we just need to add new ones or changed old ones to fit the circumstances. So in this case, uh, you could have left the end on <laughs> because the circumstances, the pan is large enough, right? Um, but uh, I think it's really interesting the way that that traditions change, especially as your as your family shape changes. So for me, uh, the last several years has been a lot of finding out how to make new traditions as my wife and I figure out what our life together looks like. So uh, one of the things that we started doing was we put a a jar on the fireplace mantle at the beginning of the year. And then throughout the year, we put things into it as a reminder of what we've done. So things like pictures or concert tickets, you know, whatever, whatever kinds of events we were at or those sorts of things. Um, And it's just kind of helped us make meaning out of the year and brings back good memories. when we look through it when the year is done.
1: So will you look at that on New Year's Eve? I mean, is
0: that how that works or? Probably. Or if not, the, the day after. It just depended the last yeah, couple of years if yeah. we travel or not, but yeah, Okay, cool. It's kind cool. of a fun thing.
1: Any cultural or family tradition can lose its meaning, and, and maybe this is a, a tradition that is holding true for you guys right mm-hmm. now, and it, and it may not as, as time goes on, but it, it can be filled with meaning, it can, it can lose meaning in time. And I think that what we've been saying is that we need these traditions, uh, new ones and old ones alike. These traditions need to be big enough for us to spar with, to ask questions of, and to test. But all traditions are transmitted and shared person-to-person, group-to-group, across time. What role do we play in sharing and passing along the tradition? We caught up with a friend of ours who has been actively working on just this idea, and we want to share this conversation with you now. Well, I'm sitting here with Julie Stevens, and Julie is a student at the Shalem Institute in Washington, D.C., and she's studying all kinds of amazing things. Uh, So, Julie, uh, a word about what you're doing.
2: Yeah. Um, Learning how to um, facilitate small groups and specifically contemplative prayer groups and retreats. So, sort of spiritual direction with a small group.
1: With a small group uh, emphasis. Yes. Cool. So, it seems for our, as Kristen and I were talking, that the role of tradition and uh, your work with some some things around eldering or, or working with elders, kind of goes goes hand in hand. Would you Would you agree with that? Or
2: yeah, and um, especially I'm thinking of this. Once you asked me about it, I went with a couple co-workers to a conference in October regarding conscious living and conscious aging. And I just turned 55 last month, so I think I'm more than an elder now.
1: <laughs> so, <laughs> so you're just um, going to own it.
2: Yeah, That's right. I'm owning it. So, yeah. Yeah. Personally living it.
1: Cool. Cool. So what would you say is, uh, what's the role of elders?
2: Yeah. As I think about it, I think one of the most important things is just a blessing of the younger generation. Certainly a keeper of the culture and traditions. And I know that's what you guys are thinking about with this topic. Um, and that is if the traditions are worth keeping. <laughs> um, and It's hard because our American culture isn't really um, one that recognizes or holds up elders. I think um, we were reminded that China, Japan, Native American cultures, elders are really important Mm -hmm. and held up and their wisdom is so honored and wanted. And I think that's a little bit different in our culture. And in defense of our culture, we as elders really have a trouble on our end because we're not really mentored in it, maybe. We don't realize how important our voice is and kind of step forward and take that role.
0: So what kinds of, of things about some of those cultures that, that you've maybe said do it well? What kinds of things are they doing that, that we're missing?
2: Yeah, I, I think it's just a, a simple recognition of it, and people are brought into the inner circle. You know, probably historically Native American cultures, you can just see that circle around the fire and the... The, the oldest elders, the most revered, were in that inner circle, and others gathered in close and wanted to hear what they were saying and what they were modeling. I think it's most mostly a modeling role, an exemplar mm-hmm. role.
1: And, and one of the things that you said kind of almost in, in passing was, you know, the role of passing on tradition, assuming those traditions are worth keeping. How do we decide? I mean, what what do we do with with that how do we decide what's worth keeping what's not
2: yeah i think part of being an elder is openness and inclusivity and and being willing to be influenced and change yourself so i think they can be real leaders and facilitators of conversations with all generations to really go is this worth keeping is this helpful mm-hmm. is this cutting people out so a, a lot of it's a role of conversation and modeling of of that type of a way of thinking i think
0: and maybe part of that—I mean, kind of hear you saying a little bit in that—that that it's it's also helping ask the questions, kind of helping maybe guide younger generations in doing that. Do you have any insight into into what that might look like? Let
2: me think about. If you don't, <laughs> that's <him>. yeah. Okay. <laughs> and I kind of I kind of twisted it. So if yeah. you if
0: you don't, I mean that's fine too. But <clears throat> I
2: think it's I think as an elder, especially the older you get, and maybe I'm beginning to enter this phase, is you can almost go into autopilot. And you just go, oh, how everything is is how it's supposed to be always. And you don't ask the questions, or you don't let other people ask the questions. Um, and you just become very set in your ways. And I, I think something to model as an elder is um, openness, the willing to evolve yourself. Mm. And therefore, you create an atmosphere where questions can be asked. And your wisdom of having lived many decades, maybe compared to someone younger, can be of help then.
1: One of the stereotypes I I know that I've held over the years is that uh, you think about in a a faith community, really any community, well, we've never done it that way before. (laughs) And it's used as a way of kind of keeping in check any kind of new ideas. We associate that with, I think, with older folks. Well, we've never done it that way before. And what you're proposing is, no, as an elder, you need to be able to say, well, what would it look like if we did it differently? Not that you should, maybe, you know, but but being, like you said, holding on to something loosely mm-hmm. so that you can continue to do this or maybe change it or maybe not do it anymore. But that all goes into deciding what we ought to be about. We.
0: I, and I think there's something about carrying that wisdom well. you know there's there's not just uh, carrying something old for the sake of carrying something old. it's it's carrying something old because you do have different experiences, I think as someone you know as me being being 28, I don't have the same experiences that people who are older than me do, and there are a lot of things that I can learn. And so there's a difference between uh, from my perspective, between holding on to it just to hold on to it and holding on to it to be able to to pass something on and to be able to, to share the wisdom that you do. Collect over time?
2: Yes. I, I was thinking of this earlier and I was reminding myself that rituals are really there to co- help us to pay attention to something. Um, life or God or whatever bears paying attention to, sometimes traditions and rituals help us to do that. We kind of are not conscious, we're not awake. Um, So there's a good place for traditions, but I think they always bear examining. And as an elder, I would want to be a leader in that conversation instead of always holding back the reins and going, nope, we can't change. Hmm.
1: And to be able to, yeah, not not say that you can't change – but where it's useful to continue with tradition, to unpack the tradition, mm. to unpack mm. its meaning, so we understand what what it is that we're about.
2: Good point. Because younger people, I don't think, are so against traditions. It's just if they're mindless and they have no clue, what it does it even have any meaning? That's a good point.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We have to be able to ask the why, so we can get so, get some of the depth and resonance mm. to uh,
0: whatever it is that we're taking part in. Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So that just makes me think. Like, what are some practical ways that that elders can pass on and share wisdom that they've that they've collected over time?
2: I think it is that openness. Um, I I would find as an elder that my greatest danger may be to think that I'm set. Okay, so I'm fifty five, and I'm going to be this way now for the next however many years I have left. And I I fight that now. I don't want to be like that. Um, and I want to be influenced by you. I want to have. People ask questions and for me to ponder them and be willing to be changed. And um, just in that, then, I think it would put me in a stance of being able to share wisdom and uh, in a stance of somebody wanting to hear me. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: I I've, When I hear that, I think of uh, as we get older, uh, what happens to us physically is that we can get uh, so that it's harder to... Stretch and harder to say f- flexible. Yeah. I think the same could be said of emotionally, spiritually, as well. Uh, yes. I hear you wanting to be able to almost do uh, mental, spiritual uh, calisthenics. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> to, good to yeah. stay limber. Yeah, because we can get just as we can get stuck in our ways physically, also mentally. Mm-hmm. Yes,
2: yeah. that's really good. That metaphor um, just. To actually hold on to some mystery in life and mm. some newness and wanting to see new things um in that way, I think we do be we are bearers of wisdom, and again people will hear us better i think yeah.
1: well what's involved with starting new traditions how would you how would you see that it's kind of an oxymoron new new tradition
2: yeah but we might come to the place where we almost have to, because um, the world is certainly more global, less tribal, and the same tradition is not going to speak as well across um, divides, so to speak. So when you say that, that excites me because it's drawing on wisdom from other tribes, from other ways of thinking of things and maybe now for the first time our culture is at a place or our world, of being able to do that better together. I don't know. That'll be exciting.
1: Being open to that and also maybe reclaiming some traditions that have been lost over time.
2: Yes. Yeah. That we have, haven't unpacked or that have lost their meaning but still have meaning.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I know that, for example, my grandparents, maybe my great-grandparents had things that they did Things that were tradition that I I, I haven't known in my life, uh, but you know may still be sitting out there ready for uh, some kind of renewal.
2: Mm. I've realized with with our own kids, and we have a twenty three and a twenty one year old that these there's things that are still meaningful to them. That I would think, oh, we can drop this now they're older. No, they still have meaning. I think it's a connection to our family and our family's history and. There's something cool mm-hmm. and deep about that, I think, that does speak to younger people.
1: Keeps us connected to uh, those who went before us and and might give them insight into where their life is, is headed. Yes. Yeah. Julie, what else would you say about uh, eldering and, and passing on traditions?
2: Um, when I think of traditions, I think of legacy as well. And... Um, our conference in October reminded us that or had a, had a nice definition for legacy. It's the mark we leave on anyone whose lives we touch. So that can be traditions. It can be um, a hug, a, a warm and encouraging word. It's I just, as I'm becoming more of an elder myself, I see the importance, my importance in the world of making my corner of the world more loving, more inclusive. Um, I just think globally that we do need elders to step up. And to share love and encouragement and warmth. and I mean, it sounds kind of very simple, but it will create an atmosphere where difficult things can be addressed and we can journey together and um, share in life together in a better way, I think.
0: Cool. Cool. Thank you so much. thank you, guys. Thanks Thanks for
2: asking me. It's an honor. Thank you.
0: It's impossible for us to check everything we know or think. Being skeptical in a healthy way is a good habit, but it's kind of hard to personally check that the earth revolves around the sun or that I'm made up of about seven octillion atoms. Octillion. Yeah. Seven octillion. That's a real number.
1: I guess my math classes didn't go up that high. <laughs> 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 I missed that one.
0: Um, and so you're just going to have to trust me. Oh. But uh, yeah. So as, as Julie was saying, it's, it's helpful to have the voices of our elders sharing their own insight, but- also helping future generations ask questions about the world around them. There are some things that we learn through the wisdom of others, and I think that's what tradition is about at its best.
1: In her New York Times bestseller, a book called Pastrix, Nadia Boltz-Weber talks about her experience of tradition through Christian worship. She wrote, I fell in love with liturgy. The ancient pattern of worship shared mainly in the Catholic, Lutheran, Orthodox, and Episcopal churches. It felt like a gift that had been caretaken by generations of the faithful and handed to us to live out and to caretake and then to hand off. Like a stream that has flowed long before us and will continue long after us. A stream that we get to swim in so that we, like those who came before us, can be immersed in language of truth and promise and grace. Something about the liturgy was simultaneously destabilizing and centering. My individualism subverted by being joined to other people through God to find who I was. Somehow it happened through God, one specific divine force. I just think Nadia's words are so profound and they're beautiful. And I think you could say the same thing about tradition itself. A gift that has been caretaken by generations of the faithful and handed to us to live out and caretake and hand off. Like a stream that has flowed long before us and will continue long after us. We are caught up in this stream of meaning, of connection, and it gives us insight into what it is to be human. As you live out the next few days, the next year, whatever you celebrate, however you acknowledge this time, whoever you gather with, whatever you do as you gather, may you have a sense of the ongoing stream, one that was there long before you, one that will continue long after you are gone. And may you enjoy your time in the stream, receiving it, sharing it, and living it out.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Sandbox Cooperative Podcast. Remember that we'll be off for a few weeks until mid-January.
1: And when we're back, we'll share our interview with New York Times bestseller Rob Bell, who had some great things to share with us. Look for that on January 18th.
0: So if you want to keep up to date on what's up with Sandbox, make sure you're on our email list and that you're following us on social media.
1: Most importantly, share this podcast with someone who might like it because there's always more room in the Sandbox. Until next time, we'll
0: see ya. Bye. Please watch your step as you exit the Sandbox.